0: Welcome to episode 4. I'm Tim. I'm Ben. This is me and my team and the news. So, Benjamin, I have to let all of our listeners know we are a little farther apart than normal. Uh, Socially distancing here in our recording studios. Ben's had a bit of a virus this uh, last few days. A bit of a fever. How are you feeling, Benjamin? I'm feeling... eh. I'll probably be fine. You know it's makes me think realize one of the things that uh is different now than it used to be. It used to be you know a year or so ago or two years ago when somebody had a virus and a fever. you went, "Oh, I feel bad for you. That's too bad now it's almost like a forensic criminal investigation. <laughs> you haven't left the house except for this one thing and a quick trip to the grocery store. Was it that person at the grocery store? Did they give it to me? Should I have gone to the grocery store It's a whole game of who done it, and there's a lot more guilt now when there's a virus instead of just feeling like, "Hey, you got a virus. I feel bad for you."
1: Yeah, I mean, with COVID, that's definitely a reality now. Is everybody's been really paranoid about, you know, catching COVID, which has actually brought the rates of other viruses, like the flu, down to almost zero.
0: Which is really amazing, and maybe lessons we can all learn from there. But the important thing is, you are feeling better, and you are not breathing in my direction. Those are important things right now. Yep. (laughs) Okay, so when we talked last week, you were talking at good length about Myanmar, which you know quite well. Um, But it turns out you don't seem to have much interest or knowledge of what's happening right here in our local community where you live.
1: What's up with that? I mean, it's just local news is so like boring and irrelevant. I mean, can you honestly tell me that you know who the who our state senator is? Yes, I do. And our state representative. Did but you look I it up?
0: I can't name necessarily the uh, whole county council. Um, but I did stare at their signs for the last year or so before the last election. But why is it that you uh, don't find value in local news? Why don't you think that it's important what happens at our local county council or the city council
1: meetings or in the state legislature? I think it's important, it's just it's not really that interesting. Mm-hmm. So this
0: seems like I'm shaming you a bit perhaps for local news and your lack of interest in local news, but um, you know, you're not alone. It's uh, a common thing and actually is not entirely new. One of the things in the news business we've known for a long time is that people your age don't generally care very much about local news. In fact, it isn't usually until after college or sometime in their early to mid 20s, around the time somebody is thinking about buying their first house and is settling into a community where they know they wanna live and is paying taxes in that community, that people begin to really start to think about local news. Before that, your age through college, uh, it's really a national focus. It's the interest that grabs everybody's attention and the things you can gravitate towards So, with local news, so taxes, Ben, how much do we pay in taxes? No idea. Exactly. What are the key issues around uh, school district property tax levies around here, and how does it affect you? No one
1: cares.
0: (laughs) (laughs) What about the new subdivisions they want to put in, and the traffic that might come along with those, and the drainage systems?
1: I don't drive,
0: not my problem. Hence, you see why you are not yet interested in local news. But it is a known phenomenon, and it is something that has been going on not just in the recent age, but for the last 50 or 60 years, that uh, research has been tracking this. There are some changes though that are happening now. As people become more isolated from their neighbors uh, and from their neighborhoods and spend more time online with the pandemic accelerating this, they begin to focus their time not so much on their geography, their neighborhood, who lives around them, but on their interest, their passions, the things they care about. And they can meet people digitally around those passions and same things that interest them. And so if they're spending their time and their interest around these passions that are not with their neighbors and may very well be, oh, I don't know, video gaming with the community in South Korea, for example, they feel closer and have a news that matters
1: more to that community
0: than they do their neighbor three streets over who they probably have never met.
1: Yeah, and I mean, that's one of the downfalls of having a completely interconnected society where every single news article is at your fingertips. I mean, before the internet you either had to like turn on the TV to like cable news or get like a national newspaper or something to find out what's going on in national news versus the local newspaper and the local news. So I guess back then local news was just as easy to find as national news, but now national news is a lot easier to find. Let me
0: ask you something else uh when's the last where, where do you check your weather sources? How do you find out what the weather
1: is um e- either using like the local weather app or the like the weather channel app
0: so you don't uh tune in to local newscasts to watch the weather. Why would I do that <laughs> so that's another thing that at your age you typically wouldn't. But in years past, you would have. That was another big draw that got people. Once this got out in the workforce, you know, if you work construction, or if you commute, you wanted to know what the weather and traffic were. And the way you did that was checking your local newscast. And then, because you came there for those things you needed for your daily life, you became interested in the stories they would tell, and interested in the local news community. Now, without weather being that same driving force certainly traffic is not as big a one right now there's less need for that and the other is sports when i was growing up if i wanted to know what my favorite sports team did i had to stay up and watch the 10 o'clock news at 10:24 p.m. when the local sports cast would come on and i'd watch the highlight and maybe get a chuckle or two from the sportscaster who was delivering them if he was clever but that hasn't been that way in a long time so local sports are not very big drivers for first-time watchers of local news. So we'll have to see over time how this pattern shifts, but I want you to know your apathy for local news is not unique or unusual for your age. Your insistence that newspapers, however, are going away is a little over the top for your father having worked in newspapers for some number of
1: years, just so you know. Well, I don't know (laughs) if they're necessarily going away. I just think they're... Becoming more and more impractical because why would I pay for something that I have to wait to get delivered and then I have to walk all the way to the end of the driveway to go pick up when I could just search the local news online if I wanted to find local news. Most local news stations have all their stories for free on the internet. But are they in a
0: format that gives you the here's what I need to know today. What about magazines? What do you think about magazines?
1: I mean, magazines generally are more specialized towards things. You know, there are science magazines and celebrity magazines. But then again, you could just get all of that information online. I see.
0: So the magazines generally and historically have been interest-based which is brings us back to the topic we were talking about at the beginning, the shift in what news people are looking for. But it does also speak to a shift, uh, our listeners may have noticed, in their local newspapers. A few years ago, local newspapers, like sports, for example, were full of game stories. They were full of what happened. Now, they assume you know what's happened, so they write different kinds of stories. Stories that either give more context, are more personable about individuals, and spend less time on telling you the facts of things, more time on diving deeper into issues like magazines have always done. It is a shift in media that we have definitely seen the last few years as newspapers transition, how they at and transition their business plan. Many newspapers for forever made a lot more money on advertising than they did on subscriptions. That has changed, many newspapers now make more money from subscriptions than advertisers. And so it's not about getting eyeballs for advertisers. It's about getting the eyeballs for the people who will pay you money to subscribe. And that changes the kind of news that they do. So I will say many newspapers have become adept at changing with the times, but it's okay still that you're not a big fan of local news. Some day, when you're out on your own, Lord willing, paying your own taxes under your own roof, You may begin to care about the tax rates in your community, and the roads being paved, and whether or not they can support the new subdivision down the street.
1: Yeah, and, I mean, there's something weird about local news. I feel like it's a lot more reputable and unbiased than, like, national news. Why is that? Well, there are a couple of reasons. There are
0: usually only a couple of local news outlets, and the people who work there live locally, so they really put their reputation on the line when they're talking. They don't want to ruin themselves because if they lie or embarrass themselves or do something dumb, their neighbor can tell them about it because they see them. National media, there are many more outlets and ways to get national news, so they have to work harder to cut through the the hype that's out there taking positions and figuring out how to get attention from people who are going to be likely to use emotion as a way to express themselves. And so national news outlets try to carve out small audiences. If I can get, as a national news outlet, 1% of everybody out there watching me, that's huge. That's a ton of people. But if a local station only gets 1% of its local market, it's a huge failure. They need to be accessible to everybody. They really need to go after largely the entire audience. Because of that, they have to maintain a broader reputation for news. And they want to be seen more clearly as objective and honest and for everybody. Not for a niche audience that can be targeted by national news.
1: Yeah, I think that's a good um a good way to put it and you're right because when there are a lot less people that you can appeal to you have to try to appeal to all of them because we all know that local newspapers will never make as much money as national newspapers because obviously there's such a small audience that, you know, you have to be general. And I also think it's just there's hardly any competition. I mean, there may be three newspapers. I mean, depends on the city. Sure. But there, there's like one main newspaper. Usually, yes. And that's it.
0: Yep. That has been a big change over the history of news. But we can dive more into that at some point. And I think we've talked a little bit about how back when there were lots and lots of different newspapers. If you look 130 years ago, a city might have 30 newspapers. And they did, in many ways, the same things that national news does today. To get competitive and get their niche audience, they would go after specific interest groups. You would be, there'd be the progressive newspaper, the conservative newspaper, the anti-immigration newspaper, all these different causes, the German language or the French language, the Italian language newspapers, to get a small portion of the audience that was loyal. And it's the same strategy and same results. You end up with news that was partisan and you couldn't fully trust it until consolidation happened to the point where they realized they could go after the whole market and go after everybody to be part of their core subscriber base. Now let's talk about, uh, you talk about national and local. Um, How many governors do you think you could name?
1: Uh, A few. I mean, sure. Let's see. The governor of Florida. He's like Ron DeSantis. That's right. And then of course there's Andrew Cuomo, who we'll talk about in a bit. Uh huh. And Ohio's Mike DeWine and Greg Abbott. Mm -hmm. And there are a few others that I can't remember right now. That's okay. So it's not a quiz about all fifty governors. The
0: question was more because what happens to get governors? into the news. And generally it's not good things. We don't really hear about, Hey, that governor of that state, I don't live in is a really good citizen and does a nice job keeping his, uh, government machinery running and, um, is effective at the budget and all that. Right. We hear about governors when crazy things happen in their states or when they do things that might not be seen as uh, well, normal, <laughs> in, in many senses. So I I have not kept up very closely on the Governor Cuomo news this week. I have a general sense of it. But you've come across a number of news stories. And so what's, what's your view? What's been happening? And what's your perspective on it? Well, it's
1: really been a bad few weeks for him. I mean, first there was the whole scandal that he's underreporting nursing home deaths by like half. And then, you know, five different women come out with sexual assault allegations. And then, of course, earlier today, articles of impeachment are being drafted against him. So, yeah, he's having a great time.
0: But a month or two ago, he was looked at as the hero of New York City, and, or New York State in, in many ways. Um, single-handedly trying to usher them through the crisis. So things can change, but I'm a little more curious... From your perspective, you know, I've seen lots of politicians and governments and governors and senators and all kinds of things, but scandals like this are still relatively new to you, right? So just what's your take on the situation?
1: Well, I don't think he's that great anymore. I mean, two months ago, I would have been like, hey, that guy's not a horrible person. And now I'm like, hey, that guy's a horrible person. I mean, the the undercounting nursing home deaths by itself would have been bad enough. And the sexual assault allegations were kind of just icing on the cake, really. And the problem is he's refused to step down or resign, even though lawmakers on both sides of the aisle are calling for him to resign.
0: So, let's... Just to play devil's advocate on my part here, um, these allegations by five different women that have all come out recently, um, they are, at this point, allegations. Is it possible that he's not guilty of any wrongdoing in these cases?
1: That's definitely possible. I mean, with the Brett Kavanaugh thing back in 2017, you know... There were allegations against him, but the thing is, that was only one woman, for a guy who was a lot more nationally known. And the fact that there are five different women who have all claimed that he sexually assaulted or harassed them, that's a bit more credible. Like, if you have one eyewitness to a crime, I mean, yeah, that's cool, but that guy could be making stuff up. If you have five eyewitnesses to a crime, that's a bit more, you know, believable. So,
0: there have been those who would have this happen and say, well, it's a conspiracy. They're just out to get me because I was mean to the former president, and they're just coming after me because of that. Any idea whether that's plausible
1: Well, I don't really think that it's super plausible because a lot of these allegations come from former aides, which means it's probably not super political Yeah, because they used to work with him. But also the fact that Governor Cuomo actually apologized, saying sometimes I could try to be funny, but in reality it hurt people's feelings, and I'm sorry, which basically was like, yeah, I'm being sexist and made women feel really uncomfortable, but that's a them problem.
0: (laughs) Well, that is a very perceptive take. Um, Does it change your idea of, when I look at governors, for example, and a month ago you thought he was great, now you think he's a terrible person, does it give you any pause about whether or not you think others in positions of leadership who you currently think
1: are great might not be you know like every every leader has their flaws and every leader will make mistakes it's just the magnitude of those mistakes are different and that's what really separates the good leaders from the terrible leaders mm. you know FDR, who is widely regarded as one of the best presidents in history for, you know, the Great Depression and World War II stuff, Hmm. you know, he also wasn't without his dark side. And, I mean, if you only look at the light or dark side of one person, then you won't have a, you know, completely unbiased or good opinion of them. Would you have thought that a year ago? Yeah, I mean, I think I would have.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, there have been a few other controversies in the news. Uh, one we have not talked about. Uh, you know, we had the big uh, Dr. Seuss books being taken out of publication, some of them. And the no longer Mister Mrs. Potato Head, but just Potato Head. Um, I've seen a ton of headlines all over about those stories.
1: Have you? I didn't see about the Potato Head, but I did see about the Dr. Seuss books. I mean, yeah, I guess he was kind of racist. I'm curious about this because being older,
0: I've had more exposure to older generations who did not have the same sense of the world that we have today. A generation where... You know, if you talked about someone from China or Russia, they may as well be from Mars because there was zero chance for 99% of people in the world that they would even meet or go to a place as far away as that. And certainly no internet, no connected knowledge of what life actually was like. And stereotypes became, they were more standard. And it was just a a way of having a world viewpoint with perhaps limited knowledge that they had. I don't know if that was the case in Theodore Geisel's case in Dr. Seuss. I don't know much about that, but I see today less patience for that in some sense, and perhaps rightly so. Uh what's your take on, you know, things that were written or done or said a hundred years ago, a hundred and fifty years ago, and what it means about the person who wrote or created them if they end up being, hey, that's kind of racist or offensive or, or terrible.
1: Well, I guess you could make the argument that, you know, standards have changed over time, and at the time they weren't really that racist for someone at their time, but that doesn't really also make it acceptable, mm-hmm. I mean, to the people you hurt. That doesn't make it any better, Mm -hmm. it's just like, oh yeah, that was a way younger me, therefore Mm -hmm. it's completely fine now. Like, that's not how the world works.
0: Well, there are points of people in their lives learning, right, and growing as you become more exposed to the world and more viewpoints. uh, You might learn to understand things that you didn't at an earlier age when perhaps you were sheltered from them or didn't know about them. Uh, You, at your age have been connected to the internet your whole life and had that kind of access to knowledge and curiosity um, that a lot of folks your age might not and might at 14 years old say or do something that they don't realize is insensitive uh, or racist. And should we, when that person is 40 years old and we discover they did this something when they were 14, what should we do about it?
1: Well, I think it really depends on the individual case. I mean, if they show remorse and have changed, then I guess it's not all that terrible. I mean, it's still not great. But if it's like, yeah, I did that when I was 14. Don't regret it. Racism forever. (laughs) I mean, that's not acceptable.
0: And when we have the case of Dr. Seuss, we can't ask him, right? Because he's not alive anymore. Um, So... The publisher did not just get rid of all of Dr. Seuss's books. They chose six of them that they thought were perhaps racist or had unfortunate stereotypes, but kept other books. They didn't just ban all Dr. Seuss. They kept, you know, Oh, The Places You'll Go and The Cat in the Hat. What do you think about that? Does that feel like sort of a split decision to you? Or what do you think about that?
1: I mean, not really. I mean, the... Books that were banned had pretty racist stereotypes to them. Like, why do you have to ban all of the books if only some of them are bad? Because some good can come from
0: an author who also did some bad things? Yeah, I think that's fair to say. When you were younger, did you have any discussions about Mark Twain? Was that something you guys talked about when you were in grade school?
1: Um, I don't think so.
0: That was sort of one of the original book banning things. And the reason in those cases, because a couple of the books had words that were particularly considered offensive today, but even at the time might be though, they were in dialect and they were meant to show the reality of the way people were talking. But if you don't have that historical perspective and context, I can certainly see people taking them the wrong way, learning the wrong lessons that might come from those things.
1: Yeah, I think I know what you're talking about. Mark Twain in his books, in his book, you know, Tom Sawyer and Huck Finn, Mm -hmm. there's definitely some racist language, but the book is also set in. Missouri or Mississippi On the Mississippi River in on, Missouri Yes, On the Mississippi River in Missouri Where, you know, back then Everyone was racist Not and everyone, but eh, A is. lot of people, no. you know And he's Portraying that pretty accurately And You know, he shows it As it was He doesn't mince words And I don't blame him necessarily for that He's not being racist, he's shedding light on the issue.
0: And I think you find the morals uh, that come out of those stories are the very opposite of the racist society he was uh, observing and seeing. But let me bring that back to news for a second because I want to get your take on something that just occurred to me. One of the great debates in news is when covering awful news, um, say war for example, or terrible crashes and things like that. The media generally does not do things like show bodies, sometimes they even show coffins, uh, because it would be upsetting to the viewer, but they still talk about the facts. Some people say that because of that decision, people like say in the United States who are far from war zones, don't understand or fully comprehend the deadliness and the horror of war and that if media did show pictures of what happened routinely when there's been uh, chemical weapons used or when a village has been ripped apart by bombs, maybe they would have a different or perhaps more real perspective on war. The flip side, of course, is that you know it may not be psychologically healthy to be exposed to images like that all the time. Um, we've not talked about this before, but I'm curious just at first impressions what yours are about that Philosophical debate in news.
1: Well, I think it's okay that they should censor some of the really gory stuff. Because imagine if a five-year-old kid decides to stay up past his bedtime, sneak past his parents and watch the midnight news, and then all of a sudden it's like, Hi, kids, you want to see a picture of a body? (laughs) I mean, like, there are images... You know, these realities that can scar children for life. Mm. And you can't be too cautious when it comes to mental health like that.
0: That's a very excellent point. Which is why often the more gruesome scenes are reserved for the late news when hopefully the kids are in bed or they come with warnings. That might be a a deeper topic we can talk about uh, in the future as well. I also noticed something just in the reporting. I saw some research today... Mm -hmm. That in the first month of the Biden presidency, um, there he there was about one fifth of the coverage of President Biden, as there was of the first month of the Trump presidency and President Trump. And in fact, there was less coverage of President Biden than of former President Trump over this past month. I think there are reasons for that. Certainly, the attention that um, the former president has is is a big part of that as a celebrity status and whatnot. But any thoughts on, on hearing that and what you think it might mean for our media or for our country?
1: Well, you know, Donald Trump definitely wasn't a conventional politician. And he definitely did like to draw attention to himself. And Joe Biden doesn't. I mean, it's as simple as that. Joe Biden, I mean, he's boring. He's not exactly (laughs) the world's most interesting guy. And, I mean, Trump would use very controversial language at some times. And that would get a lot of coverage. While Biden doesn't really do any of that stuff, therefore, naturally, he gets less coverage. But it's interesting because...
0: We think of ourselves as covering our national government by covering the government, and the laws, and the things that they're doing, but no, we really cover the people, by and large, right? That's one of the the challenges in media is cover the attention, cover the fascinating things, but do we notice that, or do we notice, you know, provisions that are being changed in law, and the rollback of things that were being done around immigration, and Oh, by the way, uh, how many zeros are in
1: 1.9 trillion dollars? Uh, I don't know that, uh, <laughs> can't think of that on the fly, but you do make a good point. I mean, like, lots of news outlets will cover, you know, what a senator's view is on the bill, but very few will actually go into the details of the bill. You know why? Because the bill is boring as
0: Hey, now... We have to put a disclaimer on for our uh, our listeners out there. Oh, you know what? I'll go back and I'll put a beep in for that, young man. Watch your language. Oh, jeez. You never know. Kids listen to this in the car, for Pete's sake. Kids listen to podcasts about news? Well, when their parents are listening to it, and maybe talking to them about it. Anyhow, forgive my son and that beeping. I'm sorry you had to endure uh, that beeping that will be in place there in a moment. But... I wanted to say, too, with the boring laws that actually affect our lives, yeah, maybe there is something about what it means to affect us. Maybe the tax rate I pay or the regulations that are placed on my business or some business I see out there, maybe it doesn't actually affect me as much as something that's personally, emotionally interesting. that is a... Curious topic I may have to bring up in a future conversation. Well, like many podcasts, we're using Post by Futuri to create, publish, and optimize this episode. Learn more why some of the top brands use Post at futurimedia.com. And we thank Post and the company for the excellent tools they've given us for this podcast and to spread it around. We got a lot of news coming up, I think, this week, and I look forward to what will be talking about next week. This has been me and my teen and the news. I'm Tim.
1: I'm Ben. And this is me and my teen and the news. Good night.